Well, first of all, so we're in part two of a series that we started last week. And the title of this series is Faith and Miracles. And there's a reason why I, I, I thought we could, we could touch on this topic. We're, we're actually, we're going to be in it for quite some time, a couple of months. But next week, we're going to take a break from it. Next week, we're going to have what we call our Mission Sunday. So we're going to talk about the missions that this church is invested in, which is uh, Haiti, Brazil, and Vietnam. And so uh, everybody who's involved in those that oversees those missions, they're going to be up here. We're going to talk about it. And then afterwards, we'll have a little interest meeting. If you are interested in going on any of those, if we go, I know Brazil will go, Vietnam, we may, and then Haiti. Uh, but if you're interested in a little bit, to know a little bit more about those missions, uh, you can come to that meeting and we'll have some stuff on paper you can take home and, and read. So next Sunday is our Mission Sunday. In case you're interested in that, um, that'll be your Sunday, so... Okay, so faith in miracles. Why are we doing this? Well, because <laughs> we need to have faith, and everybody wants a miracle, right? If you don't have an impossible situation that you're facing, you don't need a miracle. <laughs> you might just need some help, you know, just a little guidance, just a little, little something, you know? But, but when we're faced with an impossible situation, we need a miracle. And it just so happens to be that faith and miracles are two key components that work together in the life of a follower of Jesus. And it ought to behoove us to be aware of the importance of how our faith in God works alongside the expectation of seeing a miracle happen. I mean, it takes faith to believe in a miracle, right? I mean, because, because as we talked about last week, miracles are unexplainable. Miracles are when the impossible becomes possible. And so the only way for us to get a better understanding of these two components is to be rooted in God's word. That is the only way, really. Because if, you, if you're not rooted in God's word, if you don't know some of these stories, if you, don't, if you don't read the Bible on a regular basis, first of all, where's your faith at? Like, I mean, what, what's the level of your faith? And how are you going to buy into these miracles? And so, if I had to choose a passage to use as a, a focal point for why the Word of God is so important, um, is such an important element in a believer's life when it comes to faith and miracles, for this today, I would choose a passage in the book of Colossians. There's, there's tons of passages, but let's just take this one. Maybe there's some of us in the room that need to hear this. Colossians 2, chapter 2, verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Oh, so maybe that's why we need to be rooted in God's word, right? Because it tells us we need to be rooted in his word. See, the moment we put our trust in Jesus, we are told to continue following him. This, this was written to the church in Colossus, which, which I, I have to believe is like early believers, like people who are new to the faith. But those of us who've been walking with the Lord 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, we need to hear that too. Continue to follow Jesus. Don't lose sight of why we first reached out to him. 
Because isn't that what often happens? Because as life continues, struggles arise, issues happen, life happens, and we have a tendency to lose the focus of Jesus in our lives. We have a tendency to forget why we first put our trust in him. It's not that our faith is not in him anymore, but we're not as focused on him as we once were. And as struggles come and issues arise, sometimes they become bigger as Jesus becomes smaller. And so we cannot forget what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Colossus. Don't forget why you, can, why you began to follow him. See, what happens is we end up losing sight of what he can do for us. And our hope that is rooted in him often then becomes wishful thinking or begging and pleading because we want him to move on our behalf, but we're not reading the Bibles. We, we, we come to church, but we're not really here mentally, or maybe we don't come to church, or maybe we come three times a year. That, that fire that we had for him at one time is kind of an ember, and it needs to remain a fire. And by studying, reading, leading into and relying on God's word as our main source of life, because Jesus said he is the bread of life, this is how our roots grow down into him and our lives are built on solid footing that is his word. See, when, we're not, when we are not rooted in his word, we're not standing on solid ground. We're standing on shaky ground. And then what happens is, this, what happens when we're, when we're rooted in his word, this strengthens our faith in Jesus and creates an attitude of thankfulness as we experience his goodness in our lives. Because when God does something good for you, especially when it's out of the blue, aren't you like so thankful? Like just so thankful and you thank him? And, and I've, I've just, it's not like a, a habit, like a, like a, uh, a structure, but I've, I'm in a place where like every night I just thank him. I thank him for my life. I thank him for my family, for the roof over our head, for the cars we have, for the church I'm a part of. I thank him for that because it's an attitude of thankfulness that I have with my Savior, with my Creator. No matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to remain thankful. And in turn, it keeps a positive attitude going. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and then what we see is everything Jesus does for us is done out of an act of mercy and grace it's mercy and grace see we don't, we don't deserve this but it's solely because we put our faith in him you know like, like for instance before I uh, put my faith in Jesus I lived my life for me it was all for me, and it was a terrible, a terrible decisions I was making. Even though I thought they were all the right decisions, they were dumb, you know, leading, leading towards a path of destruction, fun on earth, hell for eternity. That's what it was. <laughs> Did you just call me stupid? <laughs> right? But then... 
Something happens and you reach out to Jesus. You know, think of this, and maybe you're one of these people, and I, I, don't, I, I didn't know it if you are. Think about the person that goes through life and they just, they just get their fist in Jesus' face. Like, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Nothing to do with you. You know, and maybe it had something to do with something that happened and, and you didn't blame the person, you blamed God and your fist is in his face and you, 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 like, you have burning hatred for God. And then all of a sudden something happens and you reach out to him or he reaches out to you and you realize it's him. That is mercy and grace and you didn't deserve that, did you? Right? But God says, I want to show you how much I love you. I want you to know that that hatred cannot be there anymore because I can melt that away and give you an attitude of thankfulness. See what I'm saying? And so this is solely because we put our faith in him because God loves us so much. You know, I think of some of the things that, you know, like think of some of the things that are said and done to you that you're just like, I can't believe. And then what I do is I say, well, think of what Jesus puts up with. Billions of people around the world and he says, I still love you. One of these days, you're going to be on my team and in my kingdom. He never gives up on anybody. So his grace is poured out into our lives because of our faith in him. We don't deserve it, but he wants to bless us. And this, in turn, brings an attitude of thankfulness, right? Like, like you're, you're, just, you're living life one way, and then you're just so thankful, things are different. And this gives us the desire to live for him even more. And that's kind of one of the passages we read last week out of Hebrews chapter 11. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, it's impossible to please him without faith. Now, if I'm a non-believer and I read that, I might think like, oh, well, you know, I have to please this God. Like, like please take something that I can please you with. That's how, my, that's how you know, my, I might have thought about that before I was a follower of Jesus. But that's not what it is. It's the fact that you want to live for him because of what he's done for you, and this pleases him, and you continue to seek him because of that, and then he says, I'm going to reward you for this. Blessings. Good things. And remember the, the story that we read last week of the, uh, the two blind guys that, that followed Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on us. They knew he was the Messiah. They had a faith in him that was not going to rock their world so much so that they followed him into the house he was staying at. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can restore your sight? And they said, yes. And he said, because of your faith, it will happen. Because of your faith, it will happen. So if you missed last Sunday's service, I really encourage you, go on our website, go to our Facebook page, go to my page, watch it, because it will kind of help, it lays the groundwork for this series. But also, we ended it with the question, where is the level of your faith? Where is the level of your faith? It's all part of the, the equation of, 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 of miracles happening in our lives. Maybe you don't need much faith for this miracle. Maybe you need great faith. Maybe you don't need any faith, and Jesus says, I just want to bless you. There's no structural uh, 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 equation for all of this, for, for, the, for miracles to happen. 
I, I wish it, it, it was like that, but it's not. And so today, though, what we're going to look at, we're going to look at how our faith can pave the way for miracles to happen. I think I titled it, The Keys to Miracles. Faith opens the door to miracles. I don't have any keys. I don't have a, 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 an equation, like an algebra equation that will get you your miracle. Usually when somebody titles something, the keys to this, they have bullet points, right? Here's what you need to do. I didn't do that. But there's going to be several things in here that you're going to kind of dial in on, and you're going to say, that's what I need. That's what I needed to hear. This is going to help me. So we're going to look at a story, and there's going to be several factors in here that maybe you might grab a hold of and just be like, that was it. That was my missing thing. I need to kind of dial in on that. So what are some key elements to moving where the unexplainable exists? What we're going to look at today is, here's the deal. Here's some different little keys. We're going to look at today how Jesus wants to work with us. Sometimes through us. Sometimes through others for us. And sometimes through an unlikely source for our benefit. There's all kinds of, like, like we, we live in the finite, we live in the natural, and God lives in the supernatural, and so he's got all these different elements that can help you with your miracle, that can help you with that need that you're facing, that impossible thing that is in front of you. Because that's where miracles happen. When, when we invite Jesus in to work with us, when we allow him to work through us, when we allow him to use somebody else to help us, and the unlikely source. Now, I remember one time years ago, many, many years ago, I got some wisdom from somebody, and they weren't a believer, but it, but it helped something in my life. So I was talking to another believer, and they were like, well, why would you listen to them? They're not a believer. And I was like, well, why do you think God would not use somebody who isn't a believer to help a believer. Why would, not, why would God not use that person? I think that's ludicrous. It's an unlikely source. If you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. See, this is where miracles happen, in the unlikely, where we're not expecting it. And so when God turns an impossible situation into something big, in an unexplainable way. Like, I prayed about it, and it happened. I don't know how, other than it's a miracle. That's just it's the only way to explain it. And so the miracle we're going to look at today just so happens to be recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to read them all. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but what that tells us is this is pretty important. Like, this was such a big event that all four disciples said, we need, we need to put this, we need to, we need to write this down. But, but even bigger than that, it was the Holy Spirit of God that said, I want you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I want each of you to record this story, this happening, this big thing. So clearly, there's something significant about this that God wanted us to know about. Okay? And just so you know, the story is pretty similar in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
but a little bit different in John. And so oftentimes people say, well, that's why the Bible contradicts itself. Well, I beg to differ. That's why the Bible is a big puzzle with this whole thing we call life. There's no contradictions. All these pieces of puzzles go together. Like if me and three other people were at the community fest next Saturday and this miracle big thing happened and we all wrote it down, I bet you we would all have something different that we thought was neat about that situation. We aren't contradicting each other, but we were looking and observing at a different thing, you know? And this particular miracle is also one that everybody has heard about, believers and non-believers alike. Now, I think there's three miracles other than uh, rising from the dead that everybody has heard about, even non-believers. And see if you agree with me on this. Water into wine. Everybody loves to use that one. <laughs> water into wine, right? Everybody's heard about that. Walking on water. We've all heard about that one. And feeding thousands out of little, right? Those are three big miracles everybody knows about. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to go in the book of Mark today, and we're going to read about that story. So we'll read it, and then we'll kind of we'll pick it apart a bit here. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. Interesting. We'll get, we'll get, we're going we're gonna to get to that. A ministry tour. And told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles did not have enough time to eat. Just hold on to that one too, so a little hungry. So they left by boat for, quite a, for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Could you imagine this? Like, just picture this. Like, Jesus, and everybody is like, let's go. It's crazy. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. If you want to get upset at your coworker who doesn't believe in Jesus, you should have compassion on them because they don't have a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so we can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. First of all, I could just imagine they get to the place and Jesus starts talking this kingdom stuff and they're like, oh, I thought we were going to order pizzas. I'm so hungry. Here he goes again. My kids know that. Whenever there's a Bible question at home, you know what, here's the thing. When, you, when, when somebody asks you about the Bible and you are passionate about it, don't you just want them to know yeah. what, you can, what you can feed them? Yeah. And, and I, that's Jesus. He's like, these people, he has compassion on them. They, 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 don't, they don't have a shepherd. And he just starts teaching them. And the disciples are like, oh, get them out of here, man. We're hungry. You feed them. With what, they asked. 
We would have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Well, how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples, have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to his disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Interesting story, right? So 5,000 men and their families, we're talking... 10,000 people? 7, 8, 9, 10,000 people? So let's, let's get into this for a minute. Remember, the story starts out, the apostles return to Jesus from their ministry tour. Well, earlier in verse 13, he sends them out. He sends out the disciples, and he says, don't take anything. Don't take, a, don't take any weapons, don't take extra clothes, don't even take a walking stick, and do, do the stuff. That's a, vimber, oh, oh, that's a, a vimber. That's a, a vineyard from John Wimber saying they're doing the stuff, kingdom stuff. And they, they healed many people, and they drove demons out of people, and they came back, meet with Jesus. They're fired up. Jesus says, let's go. Let's go find somewhere quiet. Let's hang out. I want to hear about your adventures. I want to hear what happened. Anybody give you trouble? How about it? You, you healed people, and they're just, they're fired up, right? Like, oh, we had no idea it was going to be so cool, Jesus. Oh, that was so neat. So they're going to go to a quiet place, spend some time, hang out, talk about the adventures, maybe get something to eat. But remember, it already said they hadn't eaten all day, even Jesus. So, so like, I don't know, maybe Jesus was going to treat them to a special miracle meal. I don't know. But then there's so many people coming and going that they can't get alone. And again, it says they hadn't eaten all day, so they're already kind of hungry. And then Jesus sees something in the crowd that draws his attention. He has compassion on them. Like, think about it. He's in this boat, and thousands of people are, are like trying to get ahead of him to find out where the landing spot is on the other side of the lake, wherever they're going. And it says Jesus has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And when they reach their destination, he gets out of the boat, and he starts teaching them the things of the kingdom of God. He starts feeding them knowledge, spiritual knowledge, God knowledge, knowledge from their creator. And the disciples are like, ah, oh, he's going to keep going on and on. It's getting late. So many people. <sighs> Jesus, can you just send them home? It's getting late. We're hungry. We know you're not hungry. You should be. You ever have like a, like a, like a, like, well, I used to work landscaping, and like when you're the boss, you're the foreman, you're never hungry, but when you're workers, you're like, we're so hungry. It's only 1130. We're going to wait till noon. <laughs> Jesus never got hungry, even though it says he didn't eat all day. Jesus says, well, you feed them. Give them something to eat. You do it. I'm teaching over here. With what? 
We, we don't have enough. It would take months worth of money to feed these people. Now, in the Gospel of John, again, it's a little bit different, you know. And it says, Jesus said to Philip, you feed them. It says he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. So let's just pause there for a minute. The miracle we just read about was not out of necessity. Okay, maybe the disciples were a little hungry and a little grumbly and hangry, you know. And, but I don't think any of these people were hungry. They were, they were listening to the teachings of the word of God. They were, they were probably enthralled with what Jesus was doing. And some of them were getting healed and, and just things were happening. And Jesus keeps talking because he keeps seeing things happening. And the disciples, well, they just got back from doing all this stuff, and they thought they were going to spend time with Jesus alone and share about it, but, but all this is happening now. And so nobody was going to die from starvation. Jesus just wanted to bless the people because he had compassion for them. He already knew what he was going to do. And so I wonder if maybe Jesus wanted to do something to grow the faith in the disciples in the area of the unexplainable. They just got back from healing people and driving out demons and doing all of this stuff, and maybe Jesus was, maybe he had a special miracle meal planned. We don't know, but it says he was testing Philip, and he already knew what he was going to do, so maybe he just wanted to just like rise these guys' faith up a little bit more, or maybe he just thought it would be neat to do something unexplainable with the faith that had risen within the disciples from their ministry tour. See, whatever it was, he wanted to do something special, whether it was initially for the disciples or whether it was for everybody. He didn't have to do it. Either way, look what happens. Jesus tells the disciples, well, you feed them. And their response is, how? How are we supposed to do this? See, isn't it funny that when we are presented with a need, something that seems otherwise impossible, instead of seeking Jesus and following his lead through the situation, what do we do initially? We panic. We stress out. We fret. We get anxious, we get depressed, we worry, we just, we just I don't know how it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but with all those addictions and that depression and you've been healed before and you've seen God move in your life before and you used to live this way and now you live that way, you, you, you don't know how it's going to happen. What has God done for you in the past? Focus on Jesus. But it's what we do. And it's what the disciples did. Like they just got back from this tour, this mission trip. And Jesus is like, well, you guys know what to do here. This is, come on, you feed them. You, you, you're hungry, you want to eat, there's nothing here, you feed them. They lost sight of the unexplainable. And all of a sudden they're concerned about economics and cost. It's going to cost us months worth of wages. We could never do this. Well, you feed them, and they still don't have a clue. They lost sight of the supernatural component that had now become a reality of their life. 
because of this mission trip they were on. Jesus sent them out so they could do the stuff that he's been doing because he wants to work through us. And they lost sight of that in the moment. They're thinking in the natural. There's no way we could feed all these people. When the reality of a Jesus follower lies more in the supernatural. That's our reality. When we're faced with a situation that we don't know what to do with, we can't no longer look in the natural for the, for the solution. If you don't have a solution for your situation, then you need a miracle. Then what makes you think the natural is going to get that to happen? You need the supernatural, the realm where the unexplainable exists, where God exists. So instead of looking at the problem, the situation, the thing that we're presented with, we should first look to who we cannot literally see and seek him out, Jesus. See, when I'm presented with something like it, the first thing I say is like, Jesus, I need you, man. I need you. And I don't know how just yet, but I need you. That should be our initial response, not how's this going to work out? Jesus told the disciples to do something that was naturally impossible. And how many times has he expected us or told us to move in what seems to be an impossible situation? He's probably told us so many times we were just so focused on the situation that we didn't hear his voice. Because this is what he loves to do. It's how our faith in him grows. It's how we begin to rely on him more in life. How he becomes more of our anchor, more of our life support. We stop worrying about fixing the situation ourselves and we involve our creator in it, our savior. Our initial reaction is always, isn't it? How is this going to happen? I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the education. The diagnosis is not good. The relationship is beyond repair. This depression is overcoming. Fill in your whatever it is that you're looking at instead of your Savior. And this response, though, is nothing new to God. We're human beings, and that's how we function. We live in the natural. However, We can limit what God wants to do by assuming what is and is not possible. You speak it into existence. This will never fix. I'll never get through this. I'll never. It's never. Well, yeah, of course it isn't. Absolutely it isn't. But if you're, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And oftentimes it doesn't, we don't see the solution in how we want it to be fixed. And when you don't, then you say, Jesus, what? Is there something else you need me to look at? What am I missing? Where do I need to focus? And he'll lead you and guide you in that. Even after returning from a powerful mission trip, the disciples completely missed the expectancy of moving in the unexplainable. They totally missed the fact that a miracle was about to unfold. And this is why we need to be rooted in God's word so that we can relate to many of the stories that are written in the Bible. 
Many of the, 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 the greats in the Bible did not want to do what God called them to do. Moses didn't want to do it. I love Moses' story. He's standing there looking at this fire that's speaking to him, this bush, giving him a plan for his life that I want you to do that is so beyond the imagination. And Moses, is, he's like, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. I can't do it. I, I don't speak. All these excuses. I don't speak well, I'm this kind of a person, I'm not bold, I'm not this and that and the other. And finally, like God gets upset with him and says, Moses, you're doing this. Oh, and because you're so, you lack the, the confidence, I'm going to bring your brother along with you. He's going to help you. Look at Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go save Nineveh and preach the word of God to them. And, and, and he ended up getting swallowed by a giant fish and then thrown up and you know, God's going to do what he wants to do. Amen. Amen. <laughs> There's others. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, prophet of God, he, 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 he didn't want to do, he didn't want to, to give the message that God wanted him to give the Israelites, but he did. And read the story of Jeremiah. He went through heck to be a prophet of God. The people did not want to hear his message. And even Gideon, Gideon, right? Lay my fleece before the Lord. I want the dew to be around it. God, okay, you answer me. I want the dew to be on it. Okay, God, you answer me. I want the dew to be the dew to be on it and in it and around it and over it and everywhere else. Seven ways till Sunday can you answer me the way you do, God, so I know it's you. And God did it, but the first one should have been enough. You know, we lack what it is that God wants us to have, and it's the faith. See, the moment we are presented with a situation that seems humanly impossible is the moment we need to ask Jesus and follow his lead. Don't panic. Follow Jesus. I think that should be a sticker. We have the serve God, serve people stickers. Or is Katie here? Katie, think of it should be. Don't panic. Follow Jesus at Vineyard Community Church. I want those stickers at the cafe in a month. <laughs> That's better than my talk about it joke. <laughs> Don't panic. Follow Jesus. And sometimes you've got to be in that situation for a long time before you see some light at the end of the tunnel. Follow Jesus, man. I promise you, the end is going to be so worth it. And then when seeking Jesus... We look where he's at. What is he doing? What is he asking or needing us to do? And we follow his lead. In other words, be proactive. Sitting here begging and pleading and asking Jesus to do something for you and not doing anything about it, if it doesn't really end up with the results we're looking for, right? It's more begging and pleading. I don't know why God's not answering me. And he's like, I, I, I've been trying to, but you're not moving. You're, you're not joining me in what I want you to do. I want your faith to grow. I want you to be strong in this. So in this case, Jesus tells the disciples, you know, go find some food. You know, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. What, what can you get? See, when God asks us to do the impossible, he's not asking us because he doesn't know what to do. Like... Like, Henry, I really need you to, Henry, go find some food, because I don't, I don't know what we're going to do here. That's not what he's doing. He wants to move with us and through us so that we can both move in the supernatural. 
in the realm of the unexplainable to see the miracle take place. God already knows what he's going to do. It says in the Gospel of John, he already knew what he was going to do. He wants to move with us so that our faith increases as we move together in the unexplainable realm of the supernatural. John chapter 6. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. So in John is the only gospel that has the little boy. Why didn't the other three talk about the boy's lunch, right? Everybody's heard of the little boy that gave his lunch to Jesus to feed thousands, right? Everybody's heard of that. Well, why is it only in the gospel of John? I don't know. John thought it was important to put in there. The other three didn't. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Oh, the, the, the yeah, but. We've got a lunch here, Jesus, but what good is that going to do with all these people? O oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of this. So Kim moves in, in the gift of wisdom. Right? She, I mean, she's, well, she always has an answer for something. <laughs> and I, and I, I did that on purpose. But you can ask him something, you know, her coworkers, and she's known for, for people to ask her something, and she's got an answer for it. And, and it hit me, that's the gift of wisdom, Kim. It's the gift of wisdom, because you're not thinking about the answer. You weren't prepared for the question. And so oftentimes when we move in the gift of wisdom, somebody comes to you and they say, hey, I got this situation, maybe it's job, maybe it's relational, whatever, and all of a sudden you start giving them this advice. And at least for me, I'm thinking, oh, that sounds pretty good because I am not that smart. That's the gift of wisdom. It's the Holy Spirit of God is using you to tell that person something that he wants them to hear. And you tell them, and then they walk away and they say, that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't even know why I asked them that. There's a young boy here with three loaves of bread and two fish, but what good is that going to do? See what I'm saying? And for some reason, too, I just, I, it kind of bothers me. There's like up to 10,000 people here and nobody had any other food? Nobody? Just this boy? <laughs> Like, come on. Nobody had any food. I don't know about that. But here's what I'm thinking. Childlike faith. Childlike faith. I believe that boy happily gave up his food. He didn't know what was going to happen to it. It's the faith of a child. You know, children aren't jaded by life. They're not, they're not jaded. They, they love unconditionally because, because that's how they are. And this boy said, yeah, I got a lunch you can have. I compare that to, so the prophet Isaiah, okay, has this great encounter in the throne room of God. He sees the angels swirling around and all this stuff happens and, and, and it just, it's, it's beyond explainable. And God says, I'm looking for somebody. And he's, Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. No questions asked. You know? Hey, we need some food. We need some food. Here, take this. I got some food for you. See, when we openly recognize that we have a situation that we're facing, 
that does not have a possible solution in the natural realm, we need to give Jesus whatever it is we have for him to work with. We have to. The excuses are only going to keep you from receiving your miracle and your faith from growing. I don't have enough money. I'm not that educated. I, I, you know, fill in the blanks. I don't have any time. I don't know, God. I just have very little. And it's quite possible that if you do this, your miracle will come from an unlikely source, like a little boy that was carrying a backpack of some food. That is unexplainable. And then, you know what we do? I showed this a couple months ago. We put it all on Jesus, and we let it ride. We give it to Jesus. This is a good friend of ours, Simon Forsyth, used to be a pastor here and went out and planted a church. His wife, Melanie, is at Life Vineyard Church. She pastors that church now. Simon went on to be with the Lord at an early age, and he had a lot of sayings. He was Scottish, so he, he often wore a kilt when he did weddings and stuff, and we were like, put something else on. But he did it, right? Pastor David kind of freaked us out at first, like, Simon, you're on the stage. We can all see you up there. But Melanie had these cups made, and there's four of them. They have little sayings of his, and this stays in my office. The other ones, I could see the caricatures of his, but put it all on Jesus and let it ride. Put it in the hands of Jesus. When you don't know what to do, you give it to Jesus. Stop holding on to it and wondering how it's going to happen when you just need to give it to him. And the coolest thing about Jesus is, look at this story. He loves leftovers. He loves leftovers. Not only does he supply enough food for up to 10,000 people, there's plenty left over. So you know what that tells me is whenever we give, he gives back. Whether it's our money, whether it's our time, whether it's the little bit of faith we have, he's going to give back and he's going to give back in abundance. There's, so that there's more than enough to rejoice about. He wants us to be happy, church. He wants us to go through life with joy, not worry, not regret, not anxiousness, not all of that stuff, with joy. Ephesians 3.20 tells us, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's a life verse for some of us who've been in this church for many years. It's Pastor Dave's life verse. It, it's an E320. God shows up in a huge way. But did you catch something in here? All glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us. See, he lives within us. He's going to work through us and with us. God can accomplish the impossible, the unexplainable, the miraculous. And so I'll close everything up with this. Last week we talked about Abraham and, I, and uh, Sarah, his wife. They were old in age, and the angel of the Lord said, you know, you're going to have a child. And she snickered, and he said, why are you laughing? And, you know, and from that child came the nation of Israel. And he said this, Genesis 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
What we are praying for God to do for us, he is wanting to do through us or through an unlikely source. When we put it all on Jesus and let it ride, we're not giving him the impossible and expecting him to move. We're giving him the impossible and looking to see where he is moving so we can join him. He expects us to be proactive when we're looking for the unexplainable to happen in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for, I thank you for all this, God. I thank you for, I thank you for these stories. God, I pray that, that, uh, I pray this story wakes, just comes alive in somebody's spirit, God, that, that if you're here today and, and you're just, I just sense like some of you might just kind of be filling up with joy, maybe hope. And I think what you should do is read that story again this week by yourself with Jesus. And then ask him, God, you know I have this need. Where can I see you in it? I believe he wants to do miracles in here. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. We wouldn't be doing this series. So, so God, I just pray that your hope, your joy, will just build up our faith, God, so that we can learn to move with you. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.